back. Welcome to another episode of Path to Production, a fantasy football podcast. No, I had to let that beat drop for him, Buck. Welcome to P2P, a fantasy football podcast. Y'all know who the fuck it is, man. It's the host with the most, Cam, aka Podcast Puffy. Follow me on Twitter at Cam's Not Sober. And y'all know I'm not alone. I am joined by Dynasty Buck in the flesh. Andy Buckler, aka Built Different Buck. Follow him on Twitter at Andy underscore Buckler. Andy, what's good? Yes, sir. What's good, Cam? <laughs> what's good, bro? Hey, before we get started, I want to start you off with a little question. All right, let's get it. Would you rather get hit by Aaron Donald 10 times in a row and you know it's coming or 10 times randomly throughout the day you just get hit stick the fuck by Aaron Donald? Just hard as hell. Randomly, you don't know. You could be grocery shopping. You could be out with your girl. He just hits the hell out of you. Bro, what the fuck? Am, <laughs> am I allowed to wear like pads or anything? Nope. What? Bro, no shot. Like, I'm definitely taking all the hits at once then because there's no way I can be out at dinner with my wife and just randomly like get popped by AD. There's just no way. <laughs> what, what, what what about you? You you, you taking the, the random hits throughout the day or what? No, I'll, I'll take the 10 hits in a row, but that shit, that's a concussion, bro. <laughs> yeah. A concussion? Bro, I'm, I'm 6'1", 165 pounds, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm going to die. It's, it's not a concussion for me. Uh, yeah, if I had to choose, I'm taking all the hits at once. Fuck it, like I'll brace myself. Uh, you on bullshit by saying you can't wear pads, bro? Like, what the, what the fuck are you on? <laughs> all right. Hey man, let me fade this music out. All right, Buck, we're back for episode two. We're a day late, but we're not a dollar short. There's supposed to be, you know, weekly episodes of this, and we missed a week. You know, I didn't realize until I started recording this podcast with you. It's very difficult um, to get on the same page with another adult to record a football podcast or any podcast in general. I would imagine because you know we each have our own lives and things like that, and just coordinating times can be difficult. So, kudos to everyone who's who's done this for quite some time, and uh, they're able to produce episodes on a weekly basis or you know every other day and things like that. But we're here, bro. You ready to get into some some Dynasty RB uh, rankings? Yes, sir. All right, let's start off, as always, with some NFL news and notes. Cue the news music. <laughs> as you all can see, we still have the same news drop. All right, let's talk some Julio Jones. Julio Jones supposedly on the move. So, Buck, where do you think Julio Jones lands? Do you think he actually gets traded first and foremost? Uh, where do you think he lands? And do you have any interest in Julio Jones in Dynasty? Yeah, I think he gets traded for sure. I mean, we saw the Shannon Sharp thing. He wants out. The Falcons, I don't really think they should want to move him with the draft, not drafting a quarterback at four, but they do want to move him, it seems. They might even eat some money on the contract. So I think he gets moved. The betting favorite was Tennessee. They obviously could really use Julio. He would fit well. They don't really have anything besides Josh Reynolds. I'm hoping Josh Reynolds season still comes to fruition, but I don't think it will. But my, my gut is that the Colts end up making a move because they seem like uh, they like to make moves for like older guys like that. They need someone at receiver. I mean, they really have nothing. T.Y. Hilton, he's washed. Michael Pittman Jr., I know a lot of people are excited about him. I honestly don't think Michael Pittman Jr. is very good. Paris Campbell has missed two complete seasons, so you can't count on him. 
They just got Wentz. They need something at receiver, so I think they'll end up doing it. But as far as, like, having any interest in him in Dynasty, honestly, not really, because he's 32. We know what happens uh, with wide receivers at that age. Julio is a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best ever. So he could rip off another three years of production of a top 10 wide receiver. But in Dynasty, I think you should just, if you could use this to sell, like if you can get a future first for Julio, which I think is probably not likely right now, I would take that. Or what about, what would you take for Julio in Dynasty? Uh, Like you would take more than one second, right? Like two seconds and like, what about LaVisca Chenault straight up? Something like that. Um. Yeah, I I take Visca. I take Visca straight up for Julio. I think I tried to start with something higher than that as an offer. Um, if I have Julio Jones, I'm definitely trying to get a first round pick for him, a future first round pick. And if I can't get that, I'm probably waiting until the season starts for him to go out there and put up, you know, one of his uh, 120 yard, zero touchdown games and sell him to a contender if I can. Um, I wouldn't want to sell him now. Uh, just because I, I, I think, and we've seen his, his ADP rise a bit with all of the um, talks about him getting traded, circulating, which doesn't make much sense to me. Um, but I, I think the best possible scenario for Julio Jones in terms of his fantasy outlook is to stay in Atlanta. I think you can get more for Julio Jones if he ultimately stays in Atlanta. I'm not really sure he gets traded. But to answer your question, I try to get a future first. I start there. I would take a player and a sitting-in wide receiver talent like LaVisco Chenault form straight up. But I, I would try to get more than that. I think I'd try to net a first-round pick first. Um, let's move on through these news items. We're, we're already five minutes in. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Detroit Lions backfield. Uh, Todd Gurley to the Detroit Lions has not been put to rest yet. Um, there are still supposedly talks between Todd Gurley's agent and the Detroit Lions. What do you think ultimately happens with this situation? And do you think Todd Gurley will be the thorn in the side of DeAndre Swift owners in Dynasty? I think Todd Gurley to Detroit definitely happens. They talked about it today, actually. Uh, Dan Campbell said they're very interested. They've been talking back and forth, and I think it ultimately does get done. And I do think he'll be pretty annoying. I mean, we saw Todd Gurley last year. He was getting beat out by Ito Smith and Brian Hill. But the one thing Todd Gurley's good at is scoring touchdowns, and he's good around the goal line. Even last year, I think he scored around nine touchdowns. So that's kind of where I worry that he's just going to be used at the goal line, maybe in short yardage. And for DeAndre Swift, I mean, we talked about him last show too. He's starting to get even – now he's even dropping lower in ADP. For redraft, I think I'm still pretty nervous about him. But Dynasty, I mean, it might just be a rough year for him. Not like he won't live up to what we thought. Like maybe we thought beginning of the offseason he could be top five, top eight. But I am starting to get a little nervous. I wouldn't panic sell or anything. But I think Todd Gurley definitely hurts his touchdown potential. Yeah, I think <laughs> hey, Buck Todd Gurley is ass. And and is Todd Gurley good around the goal line? He scored nine touchdowns, but didn't he have like thirty one attempts or some shit? He had like thirty attempts inside the ten. Don't quote me on that, but I, I think I think that's right. I think I saw that stat a couple weeks ago. Um he got a ton of volume uh in the in the in the ten zone. I'm not sure he's actually been efficient there for quite some time. So um I do agree that this is annoying for DeAndre Swift and his fantasy outlook, but in Dynasty, I'm, I'm really not worried, and I'm still looking at this as a buying opportunity for DeAndre Swift. Let's get into the next running back in the news and notes. Greg Roman supposedly would like to get J.K. Dobbins involved more in the passing game. Are you buying this? To an extent, I think he will get some more work, but 
Again, it's Lamar. It depends. They could get him more work as they want, but Lamar has to throw it to him. We talked about that pre-show. So I don't put too much stake into it. Like, I wouldn't, like, put, like, as the people on Twitter say, to the moon for J.K. Dobbins yet. But I think it's good news for him. I mean, at least maybe that just means he'll be on the field a little bit more and we'll see less Gus Edwards as we maybe thought. You know how I feel about Greg Roman saying that he wants to get J.K. Dobbins more involved in the passing game, but how's that i don't give a fuck bro i told you pre-show you know you mentioned you know he, he could make you look stupid because you've been fading him because he could you know rush for 1200 yards and 1200 plus yards double digit touchdowns which he he absolutely can he's a super talented back and he said he could catch like 40 bat i just he's not going to catch 40 balls it's it's you know they passed the ball Barely 400 times last year. That'd be like a 13, 14% target share. That's just that's just not going to happen. You know, Greg Roman can write up whatever he wants to in terms of game plan, but the QB tendency in Baltimore is not to check down to the running back. So I think he could get 30 targets. You know, I'd be happy with 30 targets. I mean, he's going to be in a, simple, a, a situation similar to, to Nick Chubb. He's going to be hyper-efficient. He's never going to be involved in the passing game as much as we want, even though he's more than capable uh, just due to the environment that he's in. But I, I think I, I buy it a little bit, and I'm hopeful for any increase in targets for J.K. Dobbins because I think he's super dynamic, and I think he's worthy of, you know, um, all the praise that he's been getting, you know, even even in, in the annoying Twitter circles that, you know, Dobbins to the moon, Swift to the moon, all, all this shit. They, they're getting a lot of hype. But, I mean, I think these guys are really good. So I thought it was promising to hear that from, from Greg Roman, the coordinator. Did you see also what Greg Roman said about potential five wide sets for the wide receivers? I did see that, and they said that Devin Duvernay and uh, Tyler Wallace have been looking good in camp. Devin Duvernay was a guy I really liked last Me year, too. so hopefully he gets a chance. Me too. I like Tylen Wallace a lot his sophomore year, and before he got injured his junior season, I think he's a good player. Um, you know, I just worry about the, the volume overall in this offense. I think, you know, what is Greg Roman talking about, bro? He leads the most run-heavy offense. His passing game has been, you know, bottom 10 every t- every team he's been a coordinator for. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, he's he's going to trot out five wide receivers so he can do a fucking, you know, Q, uh, what do they call it, a QB draw with Lamar Jackson? <laughs> I mean, you're not fooling anybody, Greg Roman. But it's at least promising to hear that he's talking about these other wide receivers and talking about getting Dobbins more involved in the passing game. Last news item before we wrap up and get into the Twitter topics of the day. Are you all in on CeeDee Lamb's quads? Did you see the picture of, of my guy's quads on Twitter? Bro, come add, on, man. Add him to the list of Mike Davis, Giovanni <laughs> Bernard, um, A.J. Dillon. It, put CeeDee Lamb up. I'm all for any type of CeeDee Lamb propaganda. Yeah, but CeeDee Lamb is actually good. All those other players are ass. <laughs> like, yeah, no A.J. Dillon is only known for his quads. Like He sucks. Bro, I'm he, sick of seeing that picture. Bro, you have to give you have to give AJ Dillon a, a chance, bro. There's, you know, I've become an AJ Dillon apologist just because of how y'all do this dude on Twitter. He didn't do anything to deserve, you know, the uh, um, the disrespect. I'll say. Uh, anyway, let's get into the Twitter topics of the day. First and foremost, let's start off with a tweet that we saw on May 28th that we've been holding on to for this podcast, and the tweet end quote goes. Easiest way to see someone is new to Dynasty, drafting Jamar Chase over Travis Etienne. Draft the first round running back, all caps, end quote. How do you feel about that? It sounds like someone who drafted Rashad Penny a couple years ago over said wide receivers. (laughs) I hate this statement because I understand that Travis Etienne got first round draft capital, and I understand his point. And then he did a 
a poll of uh, Justin Jefferson and Cam Akers, like to try to prove a point. Justin Jefferson ended up winning that poll, but it was closer than you thought. But you got to draft talent. And Jamar Chase was a top five pick. I feel pretty good that Jamar Chase is going to be a top 12 fantasy wide receiver for the next couple of years. Travis Etienne got first round draft capital, but he's not that good. Like these, these running backs, and we'll talk about them, that is the show. These running backs aren't that good. So, no, I disagree with that. You shouldn't always just draft the first round running back. Sony Michelle went in the first round. Rashad Penny, like, no, that, that's, that's bad advice, uh, in my opinion. I think so, too. And I, I think, you know, blanket statements like this always, you know, I won't say it gets under my skin because I take everything I see on Twitter with a, with a grain of salt. But uh, blanket statements like this are always funny to me because it's all dependent upon, you know, roster construction and team building. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're telling me if if you have a stacked out, you know, RB core that you should automatically draft Travis Etienne, you know, uh, above Jamar Chase and Dynasty. It's it's all it's all situational. So um, generally speaking, obviously, I value RBs um, um, above any other skill position. But, you know, there's just more to it than, you know, and, and then people like this who have a following, you know, people who aren't super entrenched in the dynasty community or people who are actually new to dynasty and people who could use dynasty advice. You're telling these guys, you know, to go out there and implement bad process. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. We need, we need to like kind of stop with that a little bit for sure. Or give them like more of like details. Like that's just a blanket statement. Like it's mm-hmm. not true all the time. It's that's bad advice to tell someone every single time you should take the running back. that went in the first round over. I mean, Jamar Chase was the fifth overall pick. Yeah, I'm taking the super talented, super highly touted, you know, once every 10 year wide receiver prospect or once every two year wide receiver prospect after the fucking guys we saw last year. But I'm taking a semi generational wide receiver prospect over a mediocre RB if they're both drafted in the first round pretty much any day of the week. Quick question before we wrap this up. Would you rather have in Dynasty Justin Jefferson or Clyde edwards Lair? Justin Jefferson. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, easy for me. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even really care what the roster construction is. But Clyde Arizilaire was somebody who was going at the one on one in non superflex drafts um, last year, and even in some rookie superflex drafts, he was going at you know uh, the one on one over you know Jonathan Taylor, all those receivers, and uh, it's not looking too good for the guys that did that when wide receivers like CD Lamb, Jamar, uh, Jamar Chase, uh, Justin Jefferson were on the board still. So yeah, I, I disagree with this statement. Let's move on to the second Twitter topic we have. This one's actually a poll. Let me find it. Whoops, wrong poll. All right. The question is, who do you want in PPR Dynasty League startup? They're missing a word there. Um, They have Ezekiel Elliott, Cam Akers, J.K. Dobbins, and Antonio Gibson. Which of these four running backs do you want in a startup? Well, for me in a startup, I probably would be passing on all these guys the way I draft, but I've been riding the Cam Akers train, man. I'm going to pick him. I think uh, all these guys really have risk. I mean, Zeke, he's the oldest, so I wouldn't draft him over the younger guys just based on value. But I've been riding the Cam Akers train a little bit recently. I think uh, Matt Stafford will open up the offense. Sean McVay has been vocal that he wants Cam Akers to be the guy even last year. And he faced a bunch of sack boxes last year because of Jared Goff. That should change. I expect him to be pretty good, and he had, could be a top 10 running back even higher than that. But a lot of these guys really make me nervous. But I'll take the shot on Akers. I think all the guys come with some type of risk, but I, I would prefer Akers right now. Yeah, you can't argue with that. I think he's set up for a ton of opportunity, and he's in a good offensive environment there in L.A. I want Gibson in this poll. Um, 
Zeke is automatically out. But the other three guys are really, really close because I am a huge believer in the talent of J.K. Dobbins and Antonio Gibson and to a lesser degree, Akers, but I think he's in the best situation uh, in terms of volume. And opportunity is king when you're evaluating running backs in terms of production. So there's no argument if someone wants to take Akers over any of these guys. I won't call you an idiot, but I went ahead and took Gibson. This decision was a lot easier a month, a month and a half ago because you could get Antonio Gibson a full round later than you could get Cam Akers in a startup, sometimes two rounds later. Now these guys are going like back to back. Uh, I looked at DLF ADP. Cam Akers was going as RB eleven or twelve, and Gibson was going as the RB right after him. So I, <laughs> it's it's a little irritating, you know, the off season uh, ADP drivers. But I, I still take Gibson just because I think the the easy answer for me is you know this is full PPR. I'm pretty confident Akers will never catch eighty balls. I think that's in the range of outcomes for Antonio Gibson. I think he's a running back, given the environment that he plays in, given the head coach and uh, the way he feels about Antonio Gibson and how he wants to expand his usage. I think Antonio Gibson is a back that could catch, you know, 80, 80 balls in a season. So I take him in a full PPR, but it's it's by a very, very, very narrow margin. Anything else to say about this before we move on into the main segment? No, I think that's the thing you covered it all. I agree. I, I think I do think Akers has some sneaky uh, – PPR upside though, I think he'll catch a lot he more catch. passes than we expect. He can, he can, catch, he, he can catch for sure. He just, I don't think he has the same ceiling as Antonio Gibson. I mean, we, we saw a lot of um, um, split out screens from Antonio Gibson, like him in the slot. They're they're going to move him all around the field. Acres is never going to be that type of player, in my opinion. He can catch a I lot agree. of dump off. Stafford is a statue. He's going to dump the ball off. That's part of his tendency. Acres is going to smash. I think he's going to be great. But I think you know Gibson has a ton of uh, pass catching upside that we haven't even scratched the surface on yet. I agree with that. All right, let's move on into the main segment. We'll try to get through this as quickly as possible. We're already at 18 minutes. Rookie running back rankings for Dynasty. We're going to talk a bit about the way we have these players ranked, even though ranking sucks, so we'll try to give as much context as we possibly can. We'll talk about the player, the environment, and what we think their year one outlook and production is going to look like. Buck, why don't you start it off here? Number one running back, uh, rookie running back for me is 45-year-old Najee Harris. No, I'm playing, <laughs> but uh, I got Najee Harris here at RB1. Uh, I think it's consensus RB1 at this point. He comes in as the RB10 for me in Dynasty, so he's already an RB1, uh, already a Dynasty RB1. Man, I'm starting to get really high on him. As far as talent coming out, like I think he's a good talent. I don't think he's an elite talent. If he was in the class last year, he'd probably be RB5, 6. That's why we saw him go back to school. But he just, when it comes to running back, specifically in this class too, I'm going to lean opportunity over talent because, I mean, that's what you need at the running back position, and he's going to get it. He's going to push for 300 touches as a rookie. They're talking about lining up at the X receiver, talking about he'll probably catch 50, 60 balls. And I understand the reasons why people want to fade him is the O-line. If the O-line could change, and I just, I honestly just don't really care. Like, if that's the reason you're going to fade him, I think that's incorrect. He's he's going to play all over the field, and they want to change their philosophy. Big Ben is old. He's a statue. And we could talk about last year, like, oh, they didn't run the ball a lot. They didn't throw the running back a lot because their running back was fucking Benny Snell and uh, James Conner. They went out. They got Najee Harris in the first round. They want to use him. They're going to use him. I think it's a smash spot for Najee Harris, and I think he'll be an RB1 for – 
at least the next three years on his rookie deal. And I know that he's old. Like I joked around, he's 20, he'll be 23, which is he's like older than Ronald Jones, who's going to be done with his rookie contract after this season. But I, I again, I kind of don't care about that because the way I draft running backs, I want running backs in my rookie draft. And I'm probably going to look to sell him in two years anyway for a younger running back plus. So the age doesn't really matter, but it is tricky with him because it's going to, he is going to be a little tougher to sell because people are going to know about the age, but I worry about years for running backs more than age. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's fair. He's what he's 20, he's 23, right? Yeah. 23. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, for context, my number one running back in this class is Najee Harris as well. I agree with what you said at the top of your breakdown that he's a good RB prospect. I don't think he is a great RB prospect. Real quick before I get into my my breakdown because we do have a bit of time left. Where would you have ranked Najee Harris in last year's class? Probably around RB5. Right, yeah. Okay, so I'd, I'd have him around... Um, RB five, RB yeah, RB four, RB five. Um, if we're including landing spot, definitely RB five or higher. But yeah, yeah, that that's 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 where I am with with him as well in terms of individual talent. But at the running back position, especially um, when evaluating rookie running backs, opportunity is king. So he landed in the best situation of all of these rookie running backs by far, in my opinion. Um, he was a former five star recruit, like Najee Harris, is a talented back. I just don't think he's as talented as some of the backs that we've seen over the past couple of years. Um, but yeah, he, he lands with the Steelers. I think it's a smash spot. Obviously the reservation being, you know, not just the offensive line, but the QB tendencies as well. Um, they passed the ball a lot, man. <laughs> they had a, I know they have a new OC, but they had a, a 65, 35 um, uh, pass run ratio and going back all the way to 2016 buck. I mean, with Big Ben at the helm, the running backs don't get a ton of carries. I think the most advantageous thing about running backs landing in, in Pittsburgh is not the fact that the the team runs the ball a lot. It's the they touch one guy. It's the touch distribution. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's a great spot for Najee Harris. I think he is going to catch, you know, 50, 60 balls. It's really, really promising that we don't even have to depend solely on dump balls for him to get the ball in his hands. You talked about them splitting him out wide and OTAs and things like that. I'm super, super excited about him, but I can't ignore the offensive environment in that offensive line. I mean, it was, it was putrid. It was, it was really, really bad. They were 31st out of 32 teams in um, rushing yards before contact from the offensive line. I mean, the offensive line is it's, it's dog, it's dog shit. It's really, really bad. So I'm tempering expectations for year one outlook, but I think he's still a back in RB one for me. He's going to crack a thousand yards as long as he stays healthy and plays, you know, um, at least 15 games. He's probably going to go over 500 rushing yards. I don't think there's any other running back in this class, given the environment and situation that we can project for their year one, that's going to put up anything close to Najee So I think he's clear cut RB one. Did you have anything else to say uh, before we move on to the second guy on the board? No, I think that's it. Yeah, just like you said, I'll uh, just reiterate, they do use one guy. Like even back when uh, it was D'Angelo Williams, when Le'Veon Bell went, went down. So I think that's what it's going to be. Like he's going to get 20 to 25 touches a game. So it's to the moon for Najee Harris. <laughs> to the moon. All right, let's get into <laughs> the RB2. We have different RB2s and, you know, these guys are really close for me, but I'm going to go with Travis Etienne as my RB2. Um 
was never super excited about Travis Etienne throughout this entire process. You know, when you remove the landing spot from the equation, even uh, I didn't, I just didn't think he was a super talented back. I thought he was a, a, a decent prospect. I think he should have come out last year after his junior season, as opposed to coming back to play for, you know, his senior year, but maybe it worked out for him in the long run because he was able to get that first round draft capital, which he would not have been able to do had he declared last year. But as a prospect, Travis Etienne was always just okay to me. I appreciated his ability to catch the ball, but I never looked at him as this high-volume pass catcher. Uh, But a couple things that have me really, really excited about him. The day one draft capital. He was drafted literally one pick after Najee Harris. There is not a long list of running backs drafted in the first round that do not hit. I am supremely confident that Travis Etienne will put up, you know, top 24 seasons, whatever we classify as a hit rate. Um... I'm not sure he has the RB1 upside that I think Najee Harris does, but if he does have it, Buck, it's going to come on the back of receptions. It was really good to hear the organization come out and talk about how they would like to use Travis Etienne creatively, and it isn't just going to be dump-off passes. And he has the shower narrative with, with Trevor Lawrence working in his favor as well. So I think the QB tendencies, the QB familiarity, the fact that the coaching staff would like to utilize him in the passing game if Travis Etienne can catapult himself into that, you know, top 12 range, it's going to be on the back of receptions. And I do believe he has 80 catch upside. And, you know, only a few backs across the landscape of fantasy have that within their range of outcomes. You know, we talk about, you know, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, you know, potentially DeAndre Swift. I think Travis Etienne can get there just because I think he's going to be force fed targets. When you have the organization that wants to feed you and, and put you in a position to catch passes, and you also have the quarterback that you played with in college who gave you, you know, a lot of targets. I think he can be in line for maybe the highest target share of any RB out of this class. So I'll let you touch briefly on Travis Etienne and we can get into the guy that you have slotted it to next. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think he is in a, he's definitely going to catch a bunch of passes, like you said, but I do worry about the situation, especially year one. I think it's going to be a really rough year, year one. I mean, we've heard or might already tell us, like, I think there's a chance that Travis Etienne is getting like nine to 14 touches over the first half, even more of the season. And we really shouldn't be surprised about that. So I think there would be a, there's going to be a buying opportunity after rookie season for Travis Etienne. So that's kind of why I have him one spot lower. And I just, as a prospect, like, I don't think he's great. Like, I think he's an average prospect two years ago. Like you said, I do think he should have went out, went, uh, went to the NFL, but he went back to school. I thought I was going to be like a Travis Etienne RB1 guy because I really liked him two years ago. But then I just like watching his tape. He's carried a carry. He's super uninspiring. Like he's a home run hitter. Like he has the chance to house like ADR touchdowns anytime, maybe more than anyone in this class. But he tries to do that a lot. Like carry to key. He's I can't get the Tevin Coleman comp out of my head. And that's really who he reminds me of because I think the vision is just so bad. I think he has really bad vision. But the, the, the reception upside is definitely my favorite part of his game. And I have him at RB3. And if you want to put him at RB2, like you have him, like I'm not going to argue with that. I don't, think, I don't think it's bad. I think that's fine. But I just think my guy, RB2, Javante Williams, I just think he's a better player. And I, I love his situation even more. Like I think he's a much better rusher than Travis Etienne. He's not as good as a – he can't catch the ball as well, but I still think he'll get those opportunities because you just look at where he's at. He's in Denver, and after this year, Melvin Gordon 
is his contract ends. He's 29 years old, so he's not coming back. Maybe they bring someone else in, but I kind of doubt that. I think it's Javante Williams' gig uh, 2022 and beyond. I actually think he ends up winning it like by week eight in 2021. And if you watch the um, the the uh, Broncos did a thing where they were showing like in draft and their process and video, and it was their scouts. And they were talking about Javante Williams, and they were saying they were comping him to Zeke and Nick Chubb. And I do think Nick Chubb is an okay comp. It's a high-end comp. I think that's a – I don't like giving high-end comps, but I do think they play similar. He doesn't have the breakaway speeds. Nick Chubb, he is kind of slow in the open field. But he, they were comping him to Zeke and Chubb, and they, they had him as RB1 on the board. So that's who they wanted. That's who they went and got. And they're another team that likes to use one guy. I know last year they did use Lindsey and Melvin Gordon, but they went out and got Melvin Gordon. They really, it seems like they favor, they want to use one guy. So Javante Williams, for me, I think there's a chance in a couple of years that he is the RB1 in this class. I think he's that good. He's a really good rusher. I think he'll be over 1,100 yards like after his rookie season, maybe like consistently 1,100, 1,200 yards and maybe catch 40 passes and can be a low-end, mid-end RB1 in fantasy. So I'm pretty high on Javante Williams. Yeah, sorry, I don't, I don't really know where your Travis Etienne analysis ended and your Javante Williams <laughs> analysis began, but I, I, I had a couple things uh, that I, that I wanted to wrap up with Etienne, but we can get into Javante Williams. I, 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 I agree. I think he's um, my I, bad, bro. No, you're good. I, I think he's the second. I think he's the second most talented. I think he's the second best. What the fuck am I saying? I think he's the second best, most talented back in this class, um, just from a, a pure runner perspective. But he's 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 not going to have the the reception upside, so I, I can't confidently place him uh, any higher than three. Uh, I just think for, for myself and the way I evaluate players that that would be bad process on my part. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's super talented. I think he obviously has a blocker. You know, as much as we love rookies and and the new shiny toy you know every draft season we just completely discount you know everyone else in the backfield I think the the only player that we can confidently do that for is Najee Harris just because there's no one but I'm not willing to completely dismiss Melvin Gordon yet so I think he's going to get off to a pretty rocky start maybe a frustrating start for Javante Williams owners to start the season unless something happens with Melvin Gordon I mean Melvin Gordon was okay last year he wasn't great but he wasn't terrible and um you know we like to think that at least some programs run on some some sort of meritocracy. Uh, Javante Williams is not going to get the reins to the RB1 role in this offense, at least not to start the season. So um, reservations to start and long-term, just reservations about his, his pass catching upside. Going back to ETN, I do agree that, you know, on a per carry basis, Travis ETN was not very inspiring. You know, I love Travis ETN's highlights, but when you get into the actual tape and watch the all 22, all you, all you really get from that is, you know, he runs into a lot of brick walls and then his breakaway runs, you know, inflates his, his yards per carry and things like that. So yeah, no argument for me that Javante Williams is more talented, but first round running back in Travis Etienne, even though Javante Williams was taken, you know, um, pretty much at the top of the second round, um, you know, just feel better about the draft capital as well as the the environment and the situation that he's in playing with Trevor Lawrence, Etienne. Uh, with Javante Williams, I think he could be, Really productive, uh, but if you don't have, you know, super immense touchdown upside or the ability to go out there and catch 50 passes, um, you're not going to have the ceiling of some of these other guys. And, you know, we were talking about Travis Etienne and, you know, splitting hairs between these two guys because, like I said, uh, like you you mentioned, if, if you have these guys flip-flop, no one's going to call you an idiot. But think about Naeem Hines' role last year with the Colts because you talked about, you know, 
Travis Etienne being used, um, you know, his one and two down usage. You know, Naeem Hines was RB15 last year in PPR. And Naeem, Naeem Hines, you know, for any Naeem Hines truth is out there, I'm sorry, you know, but he sucks. <laughs> um, and if, if Travis Etienne is going to be used in a similar capacity where he's only getting, you know, seven, eight carries, but they're throwing him the ball six, seven times a game, that dude's going to be a borderline RB1. So I worry a little about, you know, Javante Williams' heavy two-down usage and what his role is going to look like in the passing game because unless he is a Nick Chubb or unless he is a Derrick Henry, which he isn't, he isn't going to have RB1 upside uh, based on the utilization alone. So we're already at 32 minutes. Let's get through the rest of these guys pretty quickly. I think we have the same RB4. That is San Francisco 49ers running back Trey Sermon. Love the player. Scouts and independent talent evaluators love Trey Sermon as well. He landed in an okay landing spot. And I say okay landing spot because everybody was Trey Sermon to the moon after he got drafted by the 49ers. But that is, you know, it's, it's the best running back by committee in the NFL. Um, they don't have a guy, you know, not in, not in the traditional sense or not the, the type of guy that, that fantasy owners or um, um, dynasty players um, would, would like in terms of uh, someone who gets – you know, 75 plus percent of the snaps, but he did land in a good offense an offense that should allow him to be very efficient. It's a crowded RB room, but, you know, based on everything that's come out of camp so far, obviously Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson's injured. Uh, Raheem Mostert wasn't there. Jeff Wilson's injured. Uh, Trey Sermon was leading the rest of the guys in Wayne Gallman. The last beat report I saw on him, he was getting a, a reduced workload and that could be like a veteran thing letting the younger guys get the run. So I'm not too, too sold on whatever Trey Sermon's path is as a rookie in this offense. Um, I do think it's an okay landing spot. He got the day two draft capital. He was a third round pick, but I don't know. I'm tempering expectations. He was going at the very, very top of second rounds. I wouldn't touch him there. Same with the guy that we're going to talk about next, but give me your thoughts on Trey Sermon. We can wrap up with him pretty quickly and go down the rest of the list. Yeah. I pretty much just want to echo everything you said. Uh, I didn't love the prospect. I didn't love the player when I first looked at his tape and stuff. I just thought he was kind of a bit of a plotter. But the more I looked at it, more people that I respect, they really high on him. He ended the season like super strong going into the college football playoff. So I think there's some upside with him. But like you said, they're going to be a committee. In year one, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be super rough for him in year one. But he'll eventually get his shot. Like they, Shanahan, they'll play everybody. I do think Wayne Gollins actually pretty decent. So, but the one thing about the crowded room is him and the guy we'll talk about later, Elijah Mitchell, they're the only two running backs under contract after next year. So he has a good path to production. Shout out to the show uh, <laughs> over, over the next a couple of years. So I like him, but like you said, he's going at the top of round two, like 201 to 203. Sometimes he sneaks up in that round one. That's starting to feel real, real Keyshawn Vani to me. Mm-hmm. And I'd much rather take Rashad Bateman and uh, Elijah Moore over him in that range. So he's he's a guy that I just won't roster because he's just too expensive in rookie drafts right now. Bro, how are we taking a third-round running back in a committee over, you know, first-round wide receivers or early second-round wide receivers? Like, how are we, how sweet. Why are we doing that? I just Because we do this that. shit every year. Yeah. Because we do this shit every year. Yeah, and even even if you're a believer in his talent and uh, you think he has, you know, a path to production early on, I still would be drafting guys like Rashad Bateman or Elijah, Elijah Moore over him. So, um, yeah, let's wrap up on Trey Sermon. Let's get into Michael Carter. I'll go with Michael Carter. I always thought um, Michael Carter was a really, really good player within the framework of what he does well. 
now everybody's suffering from the Keyshawn Vaughn syndrome, and Michael Carter is also being drafted at the top of the second round. And I just, you know, I, I, I just can't wrap, like, I can't wrap my mind around drafting a running back who was drafted in the fourth round of the NFL draft. I don't care what his opportunity is um, over wide receivers that were drafted in the first round that are also very, very talented. And, you know, Rashad Bateman is a more talented wide receiver than Michael Carter is a running back. So I like Michael Carter, the player, but I hate, hate his ADP and how high people are on him. I understand the Jets have, you know, um, uh, minimal competition in their backfield. But even so, I mean, we saw guys like Devin Singletary and Zach Moss have absolutely no competition behind them. And because those guys just aren't very good, they weren't even startable on the week-to-week basis in fantasy. And that offense is a top-five offense in the NFL. Now we're talking about somebody who could potentially take the lead, uh, the lead role in a, in a bottom-10 offense who doesn't offer you an elite pass-catching upside. And he's not going to have a heavy five zone or 10 zone role because he's, you know, 20 pounds heavier than me. He's, he's, he's never going to, if, if you're a running back, even if you have a, a lead role and I'm using air quotes here, if you don't offer tremendous touchdown upside and you don't offer tremendous pass catching upside, how do you crack the top 18 in fantasy buck? You don't, I mean, you, you don't. So I like Michael Carter. I love the player. Um, I always viewed him as a committee back at the next level. Everything's positive coming out of camp. He's going to get a shot. But in terms of fantasy outlook and his path to production, I'm not sure exactly what that is. He's a mid to late second round pick for me in startups. He is, you know, I'm projecting him as, you know, um, a weekly flex. But beyond that, I mean, this this guy is never going to be uh, a RB1. And drafting him at the very top of the second round is just, I'm, I'm hands off there. So I'm probably not going to own a lot of Michael Carter. I'll let you touch on him and we can speed round through these last five guys and wrap up the show. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. He comes in as RB28 for me in Dynasty, so low RB2. Uh, mid RB2 even feels a little bit high, but I just don't think he's very good. Like, he's so slow, and I think he uh, pro- profiles the best like a third down guy, but he's not even fast. He's really slow. He caught the ball decent, 20-plus catches in three years at North Carolina. That's pretty good. Like, 20 catches in the college season is like where you want to be at to show that you could catch the ball. He's just he like you you mentioned Devin Singletary and that's my comp for him and I don't want Devin Singletary on my fantasy team. Like he might get 14 touches but do we want 14 Michael Carter Jet, Jets offense touches? Probably not. No. And he's too he's too expensive right now. He went in the ninth round of our startup. Over like two rounds later, you can get Ronald Jones. And if you could trade Michael Carter straight up for Ronald Jones, I think you should do that. But that's just that's an argument for a different day. We can't like we're drafting him too high. He went and he's a day three running back. And I don't care about they they wanted to draft him in round three. They almost picked they didn't. He went in day three. As soon as you go in day three, your hit rate just drops. He's gonna get a chance, but he's a committee guy. They just don't have anyone to be in a committee with. But it's still I'm gonna keep saying it, and I know you don't you don't like it, but do not sleep on Ty Johnson because that man is gonna have a role. <laughs> And he's gonna he's gonna supplant Michael Carter. Don't disrespect Ty Johnson, man. All right, all right. Go, go to RB six, man. Pissing me off. Oh man, get the fuck out of here with that Ty Johnson <laughs> shit, bro. If you, bro, if I don't want 
14 empty touches from Michael Carter. Why the fuck would I want 14 empty touches from Ty Johnson? Get him the fuck out of here. All right, we're at 40 minutes. Let's speed around through these next guys. Let me let me do my five because, you know, I'm not an analyst. I didn't put a lot of effort into these last five. I do my own rankings, and these guys aren't really a part of it, but I'll give my opinions on five through ten, and I'll let the analyst Big Buck, Dynasty Buck, go through his um, after me. But at my RB6, I have Ramondre Stevenson. This guy was rushing at like seven, eight yards a clip at Oklahoma. I think if they would have had a full non-COVID impacted season, a, a, a few people would have been a bit higher on Ramondre Stevenson. He's been comp to LeGarrette Blunt by the Patriots staff already. And I think that's where his value is going to come from if he's awarded the opportunity to be the goal linebacker. I mean, if you've seen this dude, he's 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 built like the Hulk. He's he's small, compact, and, and thick, you know, um, um pause but um he's built stocky he's a tank he's agile he isn't a tremendous athlete but he is very agile he moves very efficiently I think he can be a very successful uh heavy two down back that has sneaky pass catching upside he's another back that in actually let me find this because I want to say the appropriate thing the correct thing on the podcast he caught 18 passes last season in only six games. He offers sneaky pass catching upside. Obviously, it's the Patriots. Even backs that can catch passes don't get targets in that offense. So I'm not going to say that he can be some type of three-down back. I don't think he will be. But I think he's an interesting flyer to take, you know, in the third rounds of of your rookie drafts and, you know, maybe a late-round flyer and redraft as well. Next on my list at RB7, I have Kenny Gainwell. This is a player that I liked. A lot more pre-draft. This is a guy that you actually talked me up into. Went to, went to watch some of his tapes, some of his all 22. He's super, super dynamic in the passing game. Real quick, because we want to wrap this show up before 50 minutes. Super, super dynamic in the passing game. And the Eagles are a team that, dude, they fucking rotate wide receivers, bro. Like, <laughs> they were playing Greg Ward and... um um. What Travis Fulgham? Not Travis Fulgham. Travis Fulgham, too. But uh, John Hightower and uh, there was Quez Watkins. Yeah, they, they even rotate. Like, everyone's going to get a shot. Um, and I don't think they believe in Miles Sanders as, you know, that three-down workhorse back. So I think Kenny Gainwell is a sneaky, sneaky guy to actually get on film and impress coaches and earn himself some playing time. So really excited about him. Unfortunately, don't have a lot of time to dive into him. Next on my list at RB8, got Elijah Mitchell. This dude was only a two-star recruit coming out of high school, but he is a tremendous athlete, and he put up some really, really statistical heavy seasons at Louisiana Lafayette. I think he's a decent back. I watched a lot of his All-22 as well. He's not like a super dynamic space monster, but he does have some straight line quickness and a ton of bursts. Like he's a really, really good athlete. And if he can put it all together at the next level, he's going to get a shot in the San Francisco 49ers offense. You made a really, really good point at the top of the show, talking about how him and Trey Sermon are the only running backs under contract for the 49ers after the 2021 season. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about him as a dart throw in dynasty and somebody you can throw in your taxi squad. And, you know, with the injury volatility in that outside zone run scheme in San Francisco, you may be promoting him from your from your practice squad or your taxi squad before the season's up. Those guys just seem to get injured at a really high clip. Next on my list as the RB9, I got Chuba Hubbard, somebody I was way more excited about as a sophomore. He went over 2,000 yards. Buck, you know, everybody's been fading the fuck out of Chuba Hubbard and then double-faded him after his landing spot. He lands with, with Christian McCaffrey. But you don't rush for 2,000 yards at any level by happenstance. 
You know, <laughs> like you, you have to have some degree of talent or some type of um, uh, proficiency in your game to be able to perform at that level. He's a former four-star recruit. He was highly talented coming out of high school in his freshman and sophomore years in college. He didn't disappoint. Um, so I'm holding out hope for Chuba Hubbard at the next level. Just want to see him get an opportunity. Next on my list at RB10, this is probably a what moment, but I actually have a little guy by the name of Jarrett Patterson. Similarly to my evaluation of Chuba Hubbard, I just loved, absolutely loved this guy's tape. Um, he played at Buffalo, not a big-name school. He is a terrible athlete. He's also very, very undersized, but... Everyone who gets around this kid really likes him, really enjoys his game. Independent talent evaluators really liked him a lot. He never really showed anything by way of pass-catching upside, but I think that was more a Buffalo thing than a talent thing. He did get 16 targets as a sophomore at Buffalo, caught 13 of them. So, um, And he, he, he actually... Um, um, 13 pass, 30, he thought he caught 13 balls, I think, for over 200 yards. It was, it was actually like at a really high clip. Um, and he rushed for 1,800 yards that year. So, like I said, you, you just don't put up numbers like that if you're completely trash. And he landed in a situation that I think is pretty interesting. You know, they employed a running back by committee last year with Antonio Gibson. Obviously, we expect him to take a leap forward. But we know Peyton Barber is dog. We know J.D. McKissick is dog. So, I think he has a sneaky path to production playing for the Washington football team. And if he gets a shot, I'm interested in seeing how he performs. These last five running backs aren't supremely talented. Um, uh, so, I just picked the guys that I like towards the end. So, Buck, I'll turn it over to you. You got four minutes to speed round through uh, your RB6 through 10. My RB6 is uh, Kenny Gainwell. He was one of my, like, pre-draft crushes. Like, I just loved his tape. I thought he was so good. I was starting to get nervous that he was going to fall to day three, and he did. He's a guy that the opt-out killed him. He, opt out, he opted out last year because of COVID, and it, kill, it killed him, obviously. He fell to round five, but he's much better than a round five running back. He's going to, I think, day one surplant uh, Boston Scott, whoever is the backup there, and he'll be the pass-catching guy, give you some uh, PPR upside. And Miles Sanders is a guy who can't stay on the field. He's coming up on a payday. Who knows if they want to pay him? I would probably assume they don't. So in 2022 and beyond, I think Kenny Gamewell has a chance to be like a pretty valuable dynasty player, a dynasty asset. He goes in like late round two to early round three in rookie drafts. So I'm fine taking him there because I do think he'll provide you uh, at least PPR upside from day one. My RB7 is uh, Ramon J. Stevenson. He's, uh, like you said, I agree with most of what you said with him, but he's just a plotter. Like, I, I just don't like plotters like him like he reminds me of Peyton Barber but I'm not going to slide him too much I think he's better than Peyton Barber he does catch the ball a little better than him and he's in the he's on the Patriots he's going to red shirt year one I'm guessing because they do that a lot with running back we saw him do it with James White we saw him do it with Damian Harris so I expect him to not play very much if at all as a rookie so if you have him on in dynasty don't get nervous about that because this is what they do. They're probably going to redshirt him. He's probably not going to get very many touches as a rookie unless just injuries happen. But Michelle, uh, Sonny Michelle is, uh, didn't get his fifth-year option picked up. He's going to be gone after the year. So in 2022, it should be Stevenson and Harris. And he's another, like I, I agree with you, he's a good pick in uh, around like 305 in rookie drafts. And my uh, RB7 is Chuba Hubbard. He's uh, – like he was, like you said, he was super good two years ago. And then last year, I just don't know what happened. Then he opted out midway through the season, but he's going to be an elite handcuff day one. Like he's going to be the lead backup to Christian McCaffrey. And I feel like he's going to be like the new, like 
Alexander Madison, Tony Pollard player that fantasy Twitter just loves. Like every time we see him get one carry on third and 12 and he breaks a 14 yards, we talk about how he's better than the better than Christian McCaffrey. I feel like he's going to be the new guy like that. But he's a good pick in the third round just because injuries happen. We saw Christian McCaffrey go out last year. And he does have like, I believe there's still some talent there. I don't think he'll have standalone value. I see some people say that. I don't believe that, but he is an elite day one handcuff. Our RB9 is Elijah Mitchell for basically everything you said. I mean, dude ran a 4-4. He's super quick. He's elusive. He's, he kind of fits the San Francisco scheme, like the Raheem Mostert just hit the hole and you're gone, so speed guy. But he, he has a little bit of a uphill battle on making the team. But with the injuries, uh, we saw Jeff Wilson's out for an extended period of time, so that might actually help him. And uh, Raheem Mostert got injured. So there's a good chance he does make the 53, but if he does, I think he will get his chance. Because uh, they, I mean, they they play undrafted rookies, they play six round rookies, so he's in a good chance to get a uh, to get an opportunity. And my RB10, I'm gonna butcher my guy's name, but Kane Nwangwu, running back, no, that's right. that's from, yeah. from the Vikings. He got drafted. He got legitimate draft capital, 119th overall, fourth round. I mean, this is a guy, if you go look at his stats at, uh, you look at his stats, he doesn't really have any because he didn't get much opportunity, Especially but he was playing play. behind, he was playing behind, uh, Hall and David Montgomery. So he was playing behind really good players. He has a lot of size, a lot of speed dude ran a four, two, uh, four, two, nine, 40. And I think he's gonna, like, he has some path to playing time because Alexander Madison will be his rookie deal is up after this year. And there's a chance that uh, Noangu is just a special team guy, but I don't think you draft a straight kick returner in the fourth round. I think they like him. And I think he could be the backup after 2021, the lead backup to Dalvin cook, who obviously has injury history. So I like to, he doesn't even most drafts. He doesn't even go dra- get drafted in rookie drafts. You could grab him in the fourth round or just with some fab. I really like sash and him on uh practice squad because i think he'll make some big plays in preseason and stuff and he'll start to get some hype because this dude has like a lot of athleticism and a lot of speed he's just kind of all athlete right now but i think he's a little he's a good uh, little dart throw in rookie drafts there you have it from long-winded buck brought the fade your ass out like the grammys boy <laughs> we gotta commit to 50 minutes for our listeners man but we did it buck we did it let's get it episode two in the books yes sir Yes, 